Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1098, air date August 28, 2022. All right, everyone, it's Dr. Shiva Adure. Hope everyone's doing well. We have a one of our roundtable discussions that we do, and it, the discussion is going to be on, uh, it's going to be a revolutionary discussion because we're going to talk about innovation. We're going to talk about email, um, but the discussion is going to be on, um, on the occasion of the 40th anniversary of email, which is coming out on August 30th, 1982. And that's really the official uh, recognition for the 1978 invention. We'll talk about that. I just want to introduce the fact that we have a number of people from all over the world uh, who are joining us for this discussion. This is the people that are joining us are part of our truth, freedom, and health movement. We also have Heather joining us. We had, um, we had, uh, forget, Jill. I'm not sure where she went. All right, but she'll join us. But the discussion today is really going to be on uh, it's going to be a revolutionary discussion. We're going to talk about the occasion of the 40th anniversary of email. So everyone will understand where the origins of email, where email actually came from. You'll also understand some of the interesting um, big lies about innovation itself. There's been a lot of lies that have been told to us about who's an innovator and who is not. So we'll, we'll also be covering that with our guests today. Um, let me first begin by just sharing with everyone that um, everyone on here is a Truth, Freedom, and Health Warrior Scholar. Um, and let me just bring that information up so for people who are inter in interested. If you go to truthfreedomhealth.com, our slogan is get educated or be enslaved. Truth, Freedom, and Health itself is a system. As the slogan says, the man who invented email now delivers truth, freedom, and health to make you street smart. So you may see things as they truly are beyond left, and left versus right, pro versus anti, and improve every aspect of your life your body, your relationships, your business, and your world. So what you're witnessing here is truth, freedom, and health is a system. And we'll talk more about this, but you can use this system. Like you can use email or any type of software tool, but um, email makes your life easier and faster and everyone's writing. This tool actually gets you smart. It helps you uh, become wiser. And we'll talk more about that, but that's the latest uh, innovation that, uh, that I worked on and we put out there. Let me just introduce our guests, uh, our panelists that we have today. And uh, let me go, uh, I'll just unmute each person. If you can just tell who you are and where you're from, that'd be great. Matthew, go ahead. Yes, um, wonderful good evening to everybody on the panel, Dr. Shiva. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here on that, on the anniversary of this um, event email, which has made our lives so much easier in so many ways. And so my name is Matthew Anderson. I am from a small island in the Caribbean, the island of St. Lucia. My background is in electronics. I spent 34 years doing marine electronics um, and working on boats, started off you know, in the sound industry and so on, for working for band. But all of that I did out of a need. A small island, you, know, you have to be innovative. So I started early with innovations, the ability to um, jump from one particular stream of thought or using the systems approach and be able to solve problems outside of what appears like the niche that I was in. So um, that's, that's me, Matthew Anderson from the Caribbean. 
a warrior. Great to have you, Matthew. Yeah. yeah, Matthew is part of our Warrior Scholar program. He's one of the users of the Truth and Health System. Let me go to Shreya. Um, Shreya is out of Germany. So let me bring uh, yes. Shreya in. She's a scientist and a researcher out of Germany. So go ahead, Shreya. Why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? So good evening, everyone, to the panelists and everyone watching. I'm Shreya Samal. I'm originally from India, but I moved to Germany almost seven years ago now. And... Uh, what brought me here was uh, definitely I did electrical and electronics engineering in India, uh, along with computer science. And I decided to take it forward, uh, take it into computer vision, robotics, so that, you know, I could see that the, our, our, uh, our, our communities in general, I, whether it is developed or developing communities, we always come across a hiccup and the only way to move forward is a technological breakthrough or some kind of solution. And uh, in today's world, it's very important to have like a systems-based thinking. So that's why I've even joined your, uh, joined to Truth, Freedom and Health. Uh, being a warrior, it feels very great. And uh, like knowing the truth, knowing the reality, and uh, yeah, that's that's uh, all about me. So yeah, computer vision and robotics is the current theme that I deal with. Thank Great. you. Thank you, Dr. Yeah, thank, nice to have you, Shreya. So we have uh, an innovator from St. Lucia. We have a scientist from Germany. Let's go to Frank Licata. Uh Frank, Matthew, uh, let me bring Frank in. Go ahead, Frank. Why don't you tell us about you and what you do? Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Frank, and I'm from Massachusetts here in the USA and uh, very close to where Shiva is, which um, I'm privileged to uh, have been part of uh, his uh, campaign run for U.S. Senate. And uh, I, I saw during that campaign, he was such a good candidate that the only thing they could say about him is to try to attack him on his invention of email. Uh, so I saw the vitriol of that and, um, um, you know, it, 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 was, it was just quite interesting, you know, to see how they work. It was his own party attacked him, essentially. Um, so it's, it was it was an experience, uh, to say the least. Yeah. Oh, I, and what I do, I'm an electrician. I'm a, I'm a blue collar, uh, a tradesman. I'm an electrician. Yeah, so, but can, but I think Frank, you need to let people know you're constantly creating things, right? I mean, you built your own home. You're, you're, oh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. So why don't you tell people all the stuff that you do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I like to tinker. I have many hobbies. Uh, in fact, I have too many hobbies. It takes away from my work sometimes. But yeah, like the home I'm in, I built with my own hands. My, my second home, I built with my own hands. Uh, I, 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 I like to invent. I, I, I think uh, innovation and invention comes from everywhere, every person, anyone. Uh, yep. anyone. And, we'll, and we'll get and we'll get we'll talk more about that. But yeah. thanks, Frank. Uh, we also have uh, uh, who do we have? Uh, Ashraya down in uh, Georgia. Ashraya, do you want to introduce yourself and what you do? Hi, Dr. Shiva. It's uh, really a pleasure to be in this meeting. And uh, and uh, I have been associated with Dr. Shiva's movement since 2020, uh, when the time he's running for uh, the primary elections in Massachusetts. And uh, I was actually campaigning for his uh, election. And I kind of came to know about the systems, the complete systems theory and uh, your body, your systems. I, I, uh, it's very uh, really eye-opening for me in terms of like because I'm a control engineer based out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and it's really eye-opening and how uh, to think in terms of systems. And it's really a honor to be in his campaign and supporting this movement. Great. But you're an engineer also, right, Ashria? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Nice to have you. 
And then we have, let me bring Dr. Robin Frost. Robin's a surgeons and surgeons are always creating things and they have to make some very innovative decisions in real time. Go ahead, Robin. Thanks, uh, Dr. Shiva. Um, yes, my name is Dr. Robin Frost. I, I'm in Maine, have um, had been in, in private practice um, since the um, late 90s um, here. Um, seen a lot of changes, but uh, basically met Dr. Shiva uh, uh, back when he was running for Senate, but soon realized that um, what he was um, teaching with system science seemed to ex explain everything there was that you could be challenged in life and, and provided even more problem solving that we um, as a surgeon deal with on a regular basis. Um, it was very, um, it's knowledge for everybody. So um, very, this um, concept will take you far. And it's as, as always, it's a pleasure being here and um, look forward to um, interacting with you all. Great. And let me go over to uh, Heather. Heather Burden is an oh. educator. Go ahead, Heather. I am. I started teaching on my 22nd birthday in Houston, Texas. I had no idea what I was getting into. So I moved from the Midwest to, you know, the big city and had no idea what I was doing. Teaching English as a second language uh, was given a, a caseload of students. It didn't matter what level their skills were. They were just all in the same course. So I had some amazing colleagues and we were able to develop a, a system, a program that worked for our students based on their needs. And that's where, yeah, I kind of began there uh, with some systems learning uh, in, in education. And it's amazing how much people don't rely on that and, and kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Um, happened upon some really great materials quite a ways into my career. Um, a great author, Susanna Dutro, wrote like a systematic English language course. And I thought, well, this, this is amazing, right? Looking at the different vocabulary and grammatical concepts to teach people as they're acquiring a language. And so I might not be an innovator in the scientific, scientific sense, but it's all about solving problems um, yeah. that work for each individual. That's great, Heather. Yeah. So innovation we'll talk about is ultimately about solving problems. So what I want to do is um, we're going to, so, so we have eight panelists here, including myself, seven additional people. We're going to first, I just want to play you guys a video that we just played. Um, August 30th, 1982 is the anniversary of the invention of email. So I want to play you a video that, uh, I think we've used before, but I think it'll give you sort of the context and we'll come back to it. It's a quick video. It's about a two minute video. So let me just play this video for everyone. Hello, this is Dr. Shivaya Durate. August 30th, 1982 is the official day when the United States Copyright Office awarded me the first U.S. copyright recognizing me as the inventor of email for my 1978 invention. I would like all of you to join us in celebrating this very important day which commemorates the fact that innovation can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. I invented email long before I came to MIT. As a 14-year-old boy working in Newark, New Jersey as a research fellow, I was given a challenge to convert the old-fashioned 
and paper-based inter-office mail system consisting of the inbox, the outbox, the folders, the memo containing the to, from, subject, BCC, CC, fields, carbon copy, registered mail, the address book, and the entire process of receiving, sending, transmitting, forwarding, and storing inter-office memos into its electronic equivalent. As a 14-year-old boy, I converted that entire system into its electronic form, and I named that system email, E-M-A-I-L, a term that I was first to create, given that the operating system at that time only allowed for five characters. All of this occurred in 1978 before I came to MIT. When I arrived at MIT in 1981, the president of MIT advised me to copyright my invention, given that the United States Supreme Court was not recognizing software patents. However, in 1980, the Software Act was passed, which allowed inventors of software to use copyright to protect their inventions. As a 17-year-old boy, while an undergraduate freshman at MIT, I wrote away for the papers, completed all the paperwork, submitted all of my code, and on August 30th, 1982, a young American boy was issued the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor of email. To be clear, I've never claimed to be the inventor of electronic messaging. Electronic messaging, which is a transfer of text messages through electronic and electrical devices, dates back to the invention of the telegraph. But most importantly, the invention of email reflects the spirit that innovation could occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody. Join us and celebrate the anniversary of email on August 30th to commemorate the invention of email by a young 14-year-old boy in Newark, New Jersey in 1978. This is Dr. Shiva Dure. So anyway, I wanted to play that video because it sort of captures what occurred. So on in 1978 is when I actually created the system, but I didn't get official recognition. You know, the fortunate thing was I did copyright it. And that was four years later because I didn't understand all the laws. You know, I did it as a teenager. So there is no controversy here. Called it email, wrote the code and have the U.S. copyright. Okay. Um, so what I wanted to first go on before I get into some of the aspects of innovation, let's start with, um, you know, by the way, email was created in a medical school. That's what's interesting. And so those of you, it was created in a medical environment. So Rob and I worked, in fact, um, one of the secretaries, remember in that environment, my, my customers were secretaries. Okay. They were secretaries whose bosses were doctors, surgeons, researchers. And the doctor would typically go to their secretary and dictate to them. The secretaries, women typically were essentially always women where the secretaries were told, hey, take a memo for me. And the doctor would just go to their desk, talk, or they use these old little uh, tape recorders. And then the secretary write up the memo. Sometimes there was an attachment. Sometimes there were carbon copies. If, if someone, if they sent an email to, or uh, sorry, uh, inner office memo in those days, to send to 10 people and it was 10 carbon copies, the secretary would be there all night copying, retyping, okay? Xerox machines hadn't fully come out yet, all right? So it was a very arduous process. So it was the entire system, inbox, outbox, no different than the system that we have now for Truth, Freedom and Health. That's why we say this is, it was a system of interconnected parts. And this is hard for, for people to understand, but there was ways that you could do 
IBM, I think in the 1930s, could do simple text messaging on these mainframe computers. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about capturing that whole system into the electronic form. That is email. When you go to WhatsApp, you don't see inbox, you don't see outbox, right? You don't see folders, et cetera. In email, you have that very particular thing, which was mimicking the inter-office mail system in the office. And email, we have to understand, was for the um, business environment. Very different than leaving sticky notes, okay? Which was informal. Very different than a community bulletin board, okay? Very different kind of messaging. So I did a talk on this, really three different kinds of messaging in those days. You had the physical letter, which you would write, which was very personal, very business for commerce, right? You would attach contracts if you were hiring someone. You had the little sticky note. Remember those little sticky notes they would write, take a message? That was a very different kind of, which is like the text messages, short notes, which we have today. And then you had a bulletin board, which is like the modern, uh, which is the old version of Facebook. Right. You put a bulletin board up and people would sign. So but email is very different. So that's what I created. Named it email, called it email, et cetera. Um, let's just go around. And when was the first? So that was in. So you have to understand email was originally used in the inter office environment. You don't need the Internet for email. This is another big myth. In those old days, we did it on the mainframes where you get a bunch of computers and you wire them together. And then you ran the email application on those computers. You don't need the internet. Email was literally an inter-office program, which was used in offices or buildings, et cetera, before you even had wide area networks, okay? So many years ago in 1993, when I started a company called Arts Online, I remember in Cambridge, 1,000 people showed up. Um, and we asked people, how many of you have an email account? This was 1993. Only two people out of a thousand had an email account. So between 1978 to when I created email to 1993, email was still an inter-office application. It was used by businesses. Now the World Wide Web comes in 93, 92, 93, which was literally a graphical user interface on top of the internet, which had existed. And then it enabled, and lots of the web applications came on the internet, right? So like email, Hotmail, didn't mean Hotmail invented email. They basically took what I had created and put it on the web. Okay. It was a web-based application. Okay. Just like spreadsheets were being used before, long before Lotus created the first spreadsheet. And then you had the web version of it, like with Google Sheets now. Okay. Doesn't mean they created Google Sheets, right? Hotmail didn't create email. I did. Uh, so you have to correct people on this. Okay. You don't need the internet for email. So what I want to ask each one of you is, when? what was your first memory of using email? Let's start with Suresh. Suresh, what's your first memory of using email? Wow, it's been a really long time. I think it, uh, in 2003 or four, before I uh, into my undergrad, I registered for a public free email address online. That's the earliest uh, I can remember. So 2003, okay? Because yeah. 2000 is when Gmail came out, okay? Around 2000, all right? But you notice you were using the web-based version nearly uh, 30 years later. Right. Okay? 22 years later, all right? Yeah. Um, Robin, when do you remember first using email, Robin Frost? Uh, I would say... Um... 
late 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 nineties or two thousand probably. Late and what was it for, Robin? Was it for your hospital work or? Yes, for in my practice and and um, you know I I I believe that that's you know I I, I remember um, right along the lines of cell phones um, developing from bag phones in the uh, early nineties, right? <laughs> to then email being more developed. So right when I was, I, I think I interact, um, was exposed to it mostly when I started my practice. So it's late nineties. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Again, and you had to be concerned about what you sent in email, HIPAA issues, right? Probably if you're sending patient stuff, et cetera. Yes. And, and, yeah. and initially we would send things uh, via fax, which was also something that wasn't, but then eventually everything was um, diverted through email. Yeah. Frank, what was your first email? Do you remember when you first started <laughs> using email? I do. Yes. It actually was AOL. Uh, whenever that came on, I think that was mid nineties. Yeah. It was about 96, 95, yeah. 96. So yeah. when, when AOL came out, that's when I first got one and I actually got my first dial up internet connection to use it. Uh, you know, you got mail, you know, the, the, the modem noise. Right. You'd use a copper phone line dial-up, and um, I, prior to that point, I was using fax machines to to uh, communicate with anything written. So right. It's in, it's interesting. You and both uh, uh, you and um, Robin said fax. So the fax machine, you write a full letter and you could send it. Right. Yeah. That's why you use a fax. You couldn't really send a full letter in text messages, right? Right. You need because you needed that format because you'd put two from. It was very formal, like. As an electrician, Frank, is probably for your business work. Right? Yeah. Somebody, an invoice, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, because you say fax me the invoice, right? And, and then you know, I remember clearly my fax machine had this long ribbon of carbon paper, if you will. So it would waste so much. It would be so expensive for the ink on the thing, you know? Right. Uh, just got tired of it when email came on. I said, oh, this is great. I don't have to. Right. And let's go to uh, Shreya. When did you first start using email? Do you remember? I was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was like, you know, Orkut and Rediff Mail, uh, like, you know, uh, coming out a lot. And if you had to comment, you did, you needed like, you know, login. And in, uh, that's when well, I first made what, the Rediff what one. Was what year was it? Um, I think it was um, 2006, uh, 2007, th uh -huh. that year, that year. And right. I mainly got in because I wanted uh, badly an Orkut account so I can chat with my friends what and account? leave my exams. Uh, Orkut, Orkut. This oh, is yeah, like yeah. pre-Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right. it was pretty right. popular that time. So yeah. that's how I got into it to chat with my friends. Yeah. And uh, before that, I used to write pen. Like I had a lot of pen friends. Yeah. So I had to buy nice... Uh, nice cover letters stickers like i'm that kind of person i need to have right. these things and uh, i had to pay it out of my pocket money so i wanted to save my pocket money and email was free and you could add stickers and all these uh, cute little things so that's how i started and uh, then yeah i started yeah, like, it, communicating with friends yeah yeah it's interesting mm -hmm. you say that because there was a format for the letter right in yeah. that in 1978, when I was working as a kid there, the secretaries had, you know, the, the inner office mail system had about 100 features, the mm -hmm. inbox, the outbox folders. They had to uh, had a very specific format to from subject. They wanted a line. 
right? You have to be able yeah. to attach an attachment. If I wasn't, if my system didn't have all of their hundred features, they weren't going to switch from the paper to that. And they made it very clear to me. So for example, they had the envelope, right? The envelope mm -hmm. header is a very specific thing. So uh, again, it's a system. Email is not the simple transfer of text messages. This is really important to understand because when the quote unquote controversy was created by the elites who did not want to recognize the fact that email was created before I came to MIT, they were trying to conflate simple text messaging as email, okay? And this is very, very duplicitous because text messaging would, that is, you know, you would say uh, Samuel Morris invented text messaging. That's not what we're talking about. You would say fax is elect sending electronic signals through, you know, uh, electronic devices, right? As that video said. Heather, do you remember when you first used it? I'm trying to pinpoint exactly when that was. It had to be in the mid nineties. I know that we used it at, at work in the right. middle school in the mid nineties. And I remember, uh, you know, the teachers who'd been there a while were pretty flummoxed by yeah. how does this work? And it was web-based. Um, yeah, so most of the issues, so if you look at Suresh, if you look at Robin, Frank, you all were using web-based email, uh -huh. okay? All right, let's go to Ashwarya. Ashwarya, do you remember when? Uh, yeah, Dr. Shiva, it was in 2004 while I was in high school. And I, uh, I, the first email I used is yahoo.co.in. Okay. And Matthew, what about you? Do you remember when you first used email? Matthew, you got to unmute yourself. Okay. Yes, um, for me, it was in 2001. Um, in the, but in, in the marine field, there was some kind of um, looped email system in some of the bigger boats that allowed mail to move around um, while it was doing some kind of a packet radio system to get it in. But for 2001, for me, when um, fax was big because we're in the food world, we're in the Caribbean, and we had the mercy of the telecom com companies at what rate they want to move. So they were slow to implement it. Fax sort of nailed it for a while, and I carried around a pager and everything. When email came in, and I was able to communicate using this formula, especially for technical information, that was like, you know, finding gold. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, right. Yeah, it's interesting because when email came, I mean, even when it was being used in 78, most of the things was for business interaction. So in the physical world of paper, inner office mail system, Kristen Falvey says, uh, when she was in high school, she says, we learned how to write a memo in high school and still use the inner office mail system through the 90s. Again, in the inner office mail system, you would write a memo, you would attach to it someone's resume. So if you were gonna, let's say we were gonna hire Suresh, I would write a letter, you know, and I would circulate it to all of you and CC everyone with the, his resume. And you guys would all check it off. And you would say, red, red, you get a little check mark and it would circulate back to me. And I, I would know that everyone had read his resume. And then sometimes I would BCC that so all of those features I had to put into that system in 50,000 lines of Fortran code in 1978. Okay. So that's yeah. email. First of all, we need to set what it is. It came from the inner office mail system. No other system has inbox, outbox, folders, all those things. And it's a direct reflection of the inner office mail system. So in fact, let me just share with you some, some, something here that you'll find interesting. So, 
let me go here to the Chrome tab. If I go here, uh, nope, I want to go here. Yeah. So if I go here, so when all of my stuff went to the Smithsonian in 2011, it created this huge controversy because, um, and we'll talk about this, a military had said this other guy who had simply done text messaging using the at symbol was email. It'd be like saying Twitter is email. So we had to build this entire site. It's called inventoroftheemail.com to really share the truth. I never wanted any of the fame around it. But in fact, Noam Chomsky, one of the leading linguists of the world, said email was invented by a 14-year-old kid working in Newark. In fact, the establishment people try to say, oh, uppercase email is different than lowercase email. This is a kind of nonsense. The level of bullshit that occurred, and I'll talk about it, what happened was, let me just go back to this first. But when you look at it here, um, we literally put up everything. And all of this stuff is in the Smithsonian now. So you can see all the facts about uh, the first email system. We have all the code here. This was the main subroutine. This was how you handle groups, how you put users in groups, displaying groups. Um, this is all the actual code, adding users, deleting users. Uh, we called uh, the postmaster function, forwarding, redistribution, inbox, scanning an email, reading in mail, to, from, subject. Everything is here. All the code to create every feature uh, was, and I had to write this in eight kilobytes of memory, okay? Very little memory. And this was used by hundreds of people at that institute um, before I came to MIT, all right? Now, what's interesting is that this was written in a language called Fortran, which was really designed for mathematics. It was a lot of headache I went through. What I want to share is in 1980, I applied for what's called the Westinghouse Science Award. The Westinghouse Science Award is today known as a baby nobles. It is what um, I think the Intel guys run this award program now. And the Westinghouse Science Award, I think I have to open this in a new tab, I'll open a new tab. Um, Oops, I don't know why it's not coming up, but it'll come up. Um, but in this, I was, I think, 15 or 16 when I wrote this. And I was sharing with people how the future, how that one day email will get used by everyone in the world um, as much as a light bulb would. So it's very interesting as a kid, I could see the future. But that was because I was in the guts of creating all of this. Anyway, so this is the, um, you can go here and you can look at it. The other thing was, people try to start changing the definition of email. These were all the features. Let me just make this a little bit bigger. Okay. These were all the things in that paper-based system. The inbox, the outbox, the drafts, the attachments. So think of this was in the physical paper-based interoffice mail system, editing, broadcasting, deleting, purging, um, carbon copies, blind carbon copies. We had the thing called a registered memo. All of this, I converted to the electronic version. You see, it had all those features. And if I didn't have all these features, these people would not use it, okay? And this was done, again, before the internet. You don't, meaning you don't need the internet for this, okay? So that's the first point I wanna make. Now, what I wanna share with all of you, and then we wanna get into a couple of areas here of innovation is that, so I created this, got it copyrighted, forgot about it. In fact, when I came to MIT on the front page of MIT, they highlighted three students out of the 1,041 students coming to MIT. And I was one of them and I was brought up to very humble. I said, oh, that's interesting. I created the first email system there, highlighting it. I went to the president's house that year because I was elected student body president of the freshman class. And the president said, you know, it's too bad that you can't patent software 
you should copyright it. Copyright was the only vehicle to protect software inventions. There was no way you could patent software. The stupid legislators in Congress didn't even understand what software was. They thought it was like printed paper, like writing a script. It was only 1994 that the Supreme Court ruled that software was a digital machine. Then you could apply for patents. But by I followed the rules, I wrote the code, called it email, and have the first US copyright. Is there any controversy on who invented email? Okay, forgot about it. Go in and out of MIT, do a bunch of degrees. And in 2010, 11, my dear mom is dying of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And in a suitcase, three months before she died, she gives me, she had saved everything from 1978 in a beautiful Samsonite suitcase. All the code, the physical tapes, and the only guy who actually reviewed all of this was Doug Ameth, who's the editor of Time Magazine, the science editor. And Doug wrote this article, um, I'll bring it up here, called The Man Who Invented Email, okay? And it's a long article, and he you can go read it. And this was, you can notice, November 15th, 2011, if you see that date there, okay? So um, this is when Doug wrote the article, November 15th, 2011. So this then becomes sort of worldwide news. The Smithsonian, which is the number one history, history museum, calls me. And the Computer History Museum calls me. And they said, Dr. Shiva, we would like your materials. We didn't know this occurred, okay? So I donate all my materials to the Smithsonian. And on February 16th, 2012, a month after my mom had died, the Smithsonian does this huge ceremony, accepts all my materials. And the agreement was that they would display all of this for the kids. That's the only reason I donated it to them. That evening, that afternoon, a young Washington Post reporter does a series of three videos for me and writes a big article. Dr. Shiva Idre honored as the inventor of email. February 16th, never forget this date. So now you would think on that date, people should be very excited, right? It's an immigrant story. And what you see happen on that date is the liberal elite, the racist liberal elite, who had thought that they had already written the history of email, get really upset. They call me a fraud write all sorts of emails. Gawker Media called me a fraud, an asshole, and a dick. There were blogs that came out that said, a Curry Stain Indian, this Curry Stain Indian should be beaten and hanged. And I didn't see any white liberal, woke liberal, say anything to protect me. And I was teaching the most popular class at MIT for free, not like Elizabeth Warren. And the vitriol that came out was unbelievable. All my degrees at MIT didn't mean anything. MIT got a thousand phone calls. Literally, saying this guy should be fired. How dare he say he invented email? It was pretty brutal. And I, I didn't understand what the hell was going on because I just donated the material and you have this huge vitriol. And I had to start, and you have to understand, for most of my life, while I was a student at MIT starting the 80s, I had always fought for other people, people of color, women, minorities, poor people, to make sure they could come in. And no one was there to defend me. Noam Chomsky, who's known as a guy who's more cited than Socrates, he's known as the number one intellectual. I went to Noam 
And he had known me as a fighter on campus. And I said, no, you got to do something. He was the only one who said it's black and white. Email is created by a 14-year-old kid. And people are trying to say uppercase email is different than lowercase email. Oh, he invented uppercase email. And Chomsky said, well, that would mean you'd have two dictionaries. You'd have, imagine having a dictionary for uppercase car, uppercase cat, which would mean, and he's, he's, he's known as the most important linguist. The level of fucking racist shit, I, that's the only anger that I can say, it was racism. But it was racism combined with multiple layers. And the liberal elites were the racists. It wasn't some rednecks, okay, in Mississippi. Because A, this invention took place by a dark-skinned person, an immigrant. It took place in Newark, New Jersey, which is all African-American, where nothing's supposed to come out of. And it took place by a 14-year-old boy. But most importantly, it took place outside of the military-industrial complex. You see, it didn't occur at MIT. And you have to understand, up, and, up until 2011, I was on the front page of MIT for inventing many things. Many, many things. Cytosolve, Echo Mail, all these things. There was huge front page articles. I won every award at MIT. But when I said email was created before I came to MIT, this is very profound because it says that, wait a minute, great innovations can occur without MIT's blessing. And this is what was very profound. And I had to go through a personal journey. I had fought for other people, but I had to go through this personal journey to fight for that 14-year-old boy. And I remember getting up at six in the morning every day and we built that website. I had one student, one of my students, who literally slept in the MIT libraries because uh, I talk to women when they get attacked, they think, let's say they get raped, they think they did something wrong. So you have to imagine the environment there. Three major articles coming out in Gawker Media saying, asshole, dick. That's what these articles said, fraud. Curry Saint Indian. And no Indian stood up because Indians have no backbone. They're taught like Gandhi to just take a beating. Oh, most Indians said, oh, oh no, no, a white guy created email. Seriously. And many other people would say, oh, oh you, you said you invented email. Ha, 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 Al Gore. They'd bring that shit up. But no, I did fucking invent email. And the journey for me was... I had to fight for that 14-year-old boy, but it was a very deep journey because between 2012 to 2016, no lawyer would take on this case. Ha, 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 you said you invented email. Al, ha, ha, Al Gore. That's what they keep bringing up. And then what happened was in 2016, I came across an article when I was out in, in Hollywood, out in California, Hulk Hogan had just sued a this newspaper, Gawker Media. Gawker Media had put out a sex video. They'd caught a sex video of him having sex with his wife's best friend or something. But they had put it out and it destroyed him. He sued Gawker Media. The attorney for that was a guy called Charles Harder. And Charles Harder had just won this case for $125 million against Gawker. Gawker Media was a filthy newspaper. They would put clickbaiting headlines just to get clicks. A guy called Nick Denton ran it. So I went to Charles Harder and I shared with him all the data. He goes, oh my God, you invented email. And Charles took on that case on contingency. 99% of lawyers do not do that, which means I will, you only pay me if I win. 
which means 33% he gets. So Hulk Hogan had just won this case and it, and they appealed it. I filed for $35 million. And then within 30 days of my filing, Gawker claims bankruptcy. They said, we don't have any money. And this is the karma of it. I become the chairman of the bankruptcy committee to sell Gawker. Okay. And I was awarded about a million dollars. And those three defamatory articles were forced to be pulled down. And then all the liberal schmucks then said, oh, you know, Dr. Shiva is attacking free speech. The First Amendment does not allow you to defame somebody. You have to tell the truth. So those three articles were removed down by the new company called Univision. And, uh, and, uh, and I was awarded money. And then another dirtbag company called TechDirt, who was saying this shit, so we had to take them to court. And the judge there said, well, it's an opinion on what you define the definition of email. Regardless, they were forced to say anytime they wrote something negative to refer to the inventor of email site. But none of the major news media covered it. I mean, I would think the invention of email is the most important story. Let me get, tell you how more disgusting it gets. And I want to ask you guys some opinions on this. There's a guy called, um, the guy who wrote the book, you can look him up on, uh, what's the guy, the head of Apple? What's his name? The guy who started Apple? Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. He wrote Steve Jobs' um, biography. Walter, he'll name, his name, he's a very famous writer. He's also former head of the Wall Street Journal. So he'd written this article. Um, he'd written Steve Jobs is saying, in the middle of this controversy in 2015, suddenly a book comes out called The Innovators of the Digital Revolution. Okay? Well, don't you think email is part of the digital revolution? And in the book, that this thick book, you read every page of the book and it's got picture after picture after great innovators of the digital revolution. Well, it's all white people. I'm sorry. There's no brown people. There's no yellow people. It's like only white people can innovate. It's disgusting. In fact, there's a white woman in there. And Walter Isaacson, that's his name. And in his book, he says something fascinating. He says, all great innovations come from the golden triangle of the military industrial academic complex that all great things must come from war, okay? So this is what he was attributing, and he precisely leaves out the invention of email in a book on the internet and the invention of, and this is Walter Isaacson, who is for, actually the founder of the Aspen Institute, which is the ivory tower of all the liberal elites. So mind you, none of the Indians wanted to back this up because Indians have been beaten into colonialism thinking, I mean, think about uh, uh, the picture of this child should, frankly, maybe if my name was, maybe if I had a, I hate to say this, maybe if I had a Einstein as a name and a blue hair, blonde eyes, I'd be on every stamp. Mozart could invent stuff when he was six, but a 14-year-old Indian kid in Newark, this is the level of bullshit. And it goes deep because it's not just about me, because what it says is that innovation can only come after you go to MIT or after you go to Harvard and you drop out like Bill Gates or Zuckerberg, that's okay. You see, you get that elitism. But it surely couldn't occur by someone before MIT. By the way, a 14-year-old boy created TV. Very similar story, Philo Farnsworth. 
He was a Michigan mechanic who created the windshield wiper who was stolen from him from MIT professors. And you can go on and on and on. But the reason we want to have this revolutionary discussion is that innovation is at the heart of being a human being. And so they are trying to genetically engineer innovation, trying to say only after you go to MIT, then you get anointed. Okay. And the problem they have with me is I went to MIT and I got all those awards, but I did email before. And I'm still alive. They can't shut me up. And the really thing that bothers them, a friend of mine who's a very insightful guy, he goes, you know what bothers him about you, Shiva, is that you're not willing to be a good Indian. I go, what do you mean? Um, he goes, well, you're not willing to shut the fuck up. And this is very profound. And you will see on Wikipedia, they locked my page. They're all about this gray area. Well, the copyright doesn't really mean a patent. Shit like this. So, but I want to emphasize the la layers of this. And I want to read this and I want to go around to you guys. So my, the good news is not only was I, not only am I alive, but my mentor, Dr. Michelson, who's the one who gave me that challenge, is still alive. He's the head of high-performance computing at Rutgers. And I got, fortunately, some good academics who were honest ones who wrote this. They wrote a paper really discussing the true history of email. Let me bring it up here. By the way, I encourage everyone to go to, the, you can also go to Who Invented Email. And this is a site that we built after I won my lawsuit. And it says, before email, there was the inner office, inner organizational mail system, inbox, outbox, folders, address book, attachments. But it was all done using paper. Experts thought it was impossible to create a computer-based version of that system and did not attempt to take this challenge. But perhaps because of my ignorance, as a 14-year-old kid, I never thought it impossible when my supervisor, Dr. Michelson, at a small medical college in Newark, New Jersey, challenged me to do so. And this is what I, you know, I wrote 50,000 lines of code. Anyway. So when this controversy was going on, we really had to clarify it. And Dr. Michelson, these people were there when I created it. Dr. Debbie Nightingale is a professor at MIT, a couple of other people. So let me write, let me just read this. And this will sort of set the tone for the question I want to ask all of you guys. This is probably very powerful, okay? It's very emotional also, but I'll read it. It says, the invention of email in Newark, New Jersey reveals Fundamental truths about the nature of innovation ex exposes the quote-unquote histories on propaganda of the quote-unquote golden triangle of the military-industrial-academic complex, whose multi-trillion dollar brand, that's like Raytheon, all the big defense companies, MIT, right, advertises itself as a source of all revolutionary innovations. <laughs> propaganda are constructed and packaged by those consecrated as quote-unquote historians. There was this guy called Thomas Haig, who's a scumbag. He thinks many of these academics want to make their name on something. He already wrote the history of email. Who honed this branding to brainwash humanity that war brings good things to life. This is a key point here. This cabal anoints and exalts its innovators, predominantly whites and a few persons of color. By the way, there is real racism. And the racism I'm talking about is this. Not the racism of woke racism and um, letting everyone, you know, get a trophy. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay who's honed this branding to brainwash humanity that war brings good things to life. The cabal anoints and exalts its innovators, predominantly whites, and a few persons of color who pledge to its hegemony of innovation. That means if you're willing to play along with their game. 
The indisputable facts of the invention of email in 1978 by V.A. Shivai Dre, 14-year-old, dark-skinned, lower-caste, Indian immigrant prodigy working as a research scholar at the University of Medicine Dentistry of New Jersey. What's really unfortunate is that I have to tell my story. Do you know what I'm saying? That I have to, quote unquote, promote this. If I had a different name, a different look and feel, others would be promoting it, okay? In New Newark defies such histories. The boys' invention, the first electronic system, replicated the complex and myriad functions of the inter-office inter-organizational paper-based mail system. This is email, inbox, outbox, folders, all those things, which he named email, was motivated by his desire to create and to do the impossible. Everyone thought email was impossible by, by, in those days. People say, oh, you can't do it, you can't do it. It's too difficult. You can't write all this in a small memory zone. Email was invented to digitize this entire inter-office civilian office communications. Everyone needs to recognize this. It wasn't military. Not just exchange text messages reliably for military battlefield communications. Email was the first end-user software application that made the digital revolution accessible to ordinary people, typically women, who had never experienced a computer keyboard or terminal. Iadere's evolution as an inventor, scientist continued far beyond email to completing four degrees at MIT, receiving worldwide acclaim, and being exalted as an innovator during his 33 years at MIT while within the triangle. What that means is I was on the front page. I was a model minority. Oh, look at this guy. He invents many other things. He served their needs as a penultimate ambassador and model minority to enhance. We're talking about MIT's brand images of inclusivity, diversity, and equality. Probably heard this, right? However, when the Smithsonian requested and obtained artifacts documenting email's origin in 1978 in Newark on February 16, 2012, when Idra accepted this great American honor, he unwittingly pitted himself against their brand. The cabal unleashed disinformation claiming emails created before 78. When these claims were debunked and Iadere continued sharing facts, the facts escalated to a public quote-unquote lynching, revealing an insidious side of racism, which exalts, and this is what real racism is, and I want everyone to listen to this, particularly black or white, which exalts persons of color when needed and expels and annihilates them when they challenge false histories and propaganda. You see, I was really, really useful for MIT for inventing many things, the golden boy. But when I said, wait a minute, no, I created email before, then you spit them out. And I was unwilling to be an Uncle Tom. Email did emerge from collaboration. They said, oh, no one guy could have created email. It, it did with a bunch of people, but not from their triangle of the military industrial complex, but organically. And this, I think the most important point in a local indigenous ecosystem of a small medical college where a brilliant young boy committed teachers, a loving family, and a dedicated mentor. This is a real triangle. Hardworking people, teachers, and infrastructure. Solved a civilian problem. Again, very important. I wasn't solving a military problem. Exemplifying countless other innovations across millennia, inspired to advance life, not retrofitted from technologies intended to maim and kill. Such histories are deliberately not documented to perpetuate, perpetuate lies that war is good and to mask its rapacious profit, profits. Documenting the mention of email in Newark, New Jersey, therefore, is a historical imperative towards breaking this diabolical trance to reveal a fundamental truth. Innovation can occur anytime, anyplace, by anybody, and war and profit are not its necessary and required impetus. So that's what this is about. This is about the fact that email was not done in the military industrial academic complex. It was done, I was a kid trying to help women 
go from the typewriter to the keyboard. Meanwhile, when all this came out, the company that was behind all the attack on me was a company called Raytheon, who's right down the street here. They're the ones, go look at their stock, escalating stock. They're the ones who had put their brand with the at symbol saying they had this guy who looked like a nerd. By the way, you can't be a good looking guy and, and lift weights and be an athlete and be a computer scientist. You see, they've created these images. If you're a nerd, you got to look all fucked up. And if you're an athlete, you must talk real slow and be dumb. You can't be all these things. So they can't compute how could this guy invent email and do all these things? Well, maybe I just work hard. So they found a nerd who created the at symbol to simply add text to the bottom of a file. And they conflated that to become email. It's total bullshit. And the guy admits he only spent 15 minutes on taking an existing program and adding the at symbol to add text to the bottom of a file. That's not email. But Raytheon had the at logo as their symbol. And in 2012, they were making money off cybersecurity. All the military vendors had gone into cybersecurity. Missile sales were going down. Cybersecurity was going up. So when my stuff went to the Smithsonian, it was like a bomb went off. Because I was destroying their $270 million revenue source. Because when they were filing RFPs, proposals to the government... They were saying, oh, we're the inventors of email, so you should give us a contract. You guys follow what I'm saying? So you have profit. You have the fact that I wasn't part of the club, and I was getting out of the club, okay? Yeah, Jamie Valentino said the boxes. You didn't fit in. Well, I fit in, Jamie. Here's the real racism. I fit in as long as I was a good Indian taking all their awards. But when I was unwilling, see, they were expecting me to say, okay, yeah, I didn't invent email. Yeah, you're right. No. I was being a bad Indian because most Indians are good Indians. They say, okay, all right, master, right? And they move on. But I was unwilling to be a good Indian. I sued, I won, and that's what they really hate. Now it's deeper in my, Philo Farnsworth, who is a guy who created TV, go look at his journey. He died an alcoholic, 14 years old. He created TV. RCA came and stole his invention. He had the patent and they started producing it, drove him into bankruptcy, fighting it. In the 19th year, he wins the lawsuit, but he only has one year of patent life left. It took 60 years to put his statue up in Washington. Let's see how long it takes for them to recognize me as the inventor of email in Washington. But he didn't have to deal with the racism. He didn't have to deal with the fact that it was done in Newark, New Jersey. But in my case, there's multiple levels of discrimination, right? Newark, New Jersey, 14-year-old kid, dark-skinned guy, and it occurred before MIT. It's a pretty powerful story. But I'm still alive. Typically, they manipulate these stories, you know, like Tesla versus Edison. You know, some, news, some newspapers did some coverage. But the bottom line is, to me, the invention of email Yes, it's about what I did, but more importantly, what it's really about is what does it mean to be a human being? To me, being a human being is unleashing your creativity. It's, it's the divine essence within you. Like you guys were saying, Matthew, you do stuff. Frank, you do stuff. Robin, you do innovate when you're doing surgeries. It's being human. So now if you said you only get to be an innovator after MIT, that means we're saying only this very small fraction of humanity 
gets to get the credit for innovation. And credit does matter. Why does credit matter? People say, oh, you shouldn't be fighting for credit. Fuck you. I am going to fight for the credit now. I didn't want it before because what you're actually saying is who is a human being and who isn't? I'm basically a low caste untouchable. You know, shut the fuck up. And everyone who doesn't go to the hallowed halls of Silicon Valley or the military, you're not an inventor. And that's why it's interesting with Zuckerberg and Gates. They were Harvard dropouts. You see, that's pretty cool. That's why the story of an, um, email is so important. And we have a historic duty to get the story out everywhere. So let me go to uh, Frank. Frank, yeah. so... In your opinion, you know, you shared when you started using email and it's interesting, most of you started using it in late 90s or 2000, right? But my point is it existed in the inner office environment long before that, right? Having known that, Frank, and from what I shared with you, what is, wh where do you think innovation comes from, Frank? It comes from, it can come from anyone, any person, regardless of your education or anything. People are, build a better mousetrap every day out of necessity. So, so Frank, what do you think about this concept that if you really think about it, many of these innovators have to have a certain branding, particularly today. What is your view? I mean, of what the lost opportunities are to the rest of humanity, you know, like you do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. But, what does but, this mean to your kids? If you don't come from a certain breed that uh, you will never get the recognition? Well, don't care so much about that. I would say. I mean, that's their little world. So who cares? Do what you got to do. And, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> Robin. So I just want you guys to comment on what you think about sort of this source of innovation, where it comes from, given what you've heard, what this means. Yeah. To yeah, young people. Interesting concept because I, I've never, you know, I've heard the underlying um, explanation, but not, not the detail. And, to me, it's just like it's it's the same thing as like there there are, there are a lot of very smart, innovative people out there. And it doesn't matter, um, it just, you know, and, and that are hardworking. And what we see is if you look at how many presidents, you know, out of all the brilliant people in the world, how many presidents were just everyday hardworking people? And so the same, you know, people are being medicine is being put in a compartment. And people are being in the same thing. So if you don't, if you don't follow suit with that, where they, what they expect out of you, either, you know, being a, um, a minority at, at MIT and you have the MIT and they're supporting a minority or for me as like the only female in my surgical residency program, that there was no way I was going to perform surgically as well as any of the men, but it, it, that wasn't true. Um, so, you know, I, I think that it comes down to, like Frank said, that anybody's capable of innovation um, and, and you don't even have to have the education. You don't even you have to have the underlying ability to want to do that. And there should not be expectations of labels and labels. Um, many people fight all their life. But if you look at like an everyday working class person actually becoming president is unheard of. And why is that? There's so many brilliant people out there. And why isn't it possible for a 14 year old boy to be able to do that? Um, 
and have an understanding of that unless you're attached to you know a label such as MIT. Um, to me, um, is is what's set forth with the establishment and distracted. Yeah, Robin, one of the one of the things you, what I, what I found is when you're 14, when you're a teenager, you don't think anything's impossible. If I were to start a company, a new one, I would hire young 14 to 18 year old kids because they, you know, when I was in that medical school, the a surgeon came up to me, a very old older man, okay. And he said, oh, you know, you should, you, this email is not going to go anywhere. He goes, I just like going to my secretary and speaking to her. And she does everything for me. Why, why are you doing this? He goes, no one's going to use this. Um, but, but those secretaries were my friends. You see, the women secretaries were the ones who saw this as a liberating thing for them. So the many times it's a revolutionary act because it was a bottoms up movement in some sense that if it was left up to those elite surgeons there, they would never have wanted to see email ever get created. They would have nixed it. So that's, what's interesting. You know, it, the innovation came bottoms up and that's narrative. People do not want to talk about that. The real great innovations come from people doing bottoms up. If you look in Silicon Valley right now, Peter Thiel just wrote a book called zero to one. He's saying there's no innovation. It's all crap. LinkedIn is not an innovation. Facebook is not. These are not innovations. A lot of the stuff that goes at Flipkart, all these things are not innovation. They're just taking stuff and just putting a front end on it. So one of the things economically that's going on is a friend of mine who's a big a guy at one of the large investment houses. He's saying, we don't have any productive assets in the world. Like, what are the really great innovations? I mean, Tesla batteries are garbage. Open it up. They're just Duracell batteries. There's not any great innovations because you've genetically engineered it. You go here, then you go here, then you go to Silicon Valley, you get funded. So there's really not any great innovations occurring also out of this. We're not solving any major problems. We're tweaking little things. mRNA is not a major discovery, okay? It's been around for a long, long time. So go ahead, um, uh, Matthew. What do you think about all this? Yes, well, for me, innovation was was a must because in, 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 in my situation, I went into the field of modern electronics in a country where there is no spare parts in a time when the company was broke, didn't have any supplies. So innovation was a need. I just had to innovate if I wanted to keep this going and keep my, and uh, and serve my family. I'm had to innovate and and serve the company. The company was going under because um, they didn't have the money to hire these engineers. And I just came in and uh, I wanted to find out about the marine bit. And the guy says you're hired and show up on Monday. And I got it. It was 21 boats, and they gave me a list. I'd never seen these things before in my life. Any other stuff? I never seen these radars. I never saw these underwater sanders. I, 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 I know electronics as a young guy growing up, I was into building transmitters and stuff. So I was into that aspect of it, liking to be creative and thing. But I took a job on that I knew nothing about, so I had to innovate. It was not a choice. And so- yeah. so, what uh, you're, so what you're saying, Matthew, is that I think when you don't have a choice, you go and create these things. That's where a lot of this stuff comes from. You gotta create it, yes, absolutely. Right. It's interesting because when all this came out, there's a guy called David Crocker. I call him David Crock of shit. 
He was a guy in 1970s who was with all these people. And he wrote a article which said it will be impossible to create an electronic version of the inner office mail system. That was in 1977. We found that article that he'd written. And this is a guy in 2011 that was attacking us. Now, why do I bring that up? Because he did not think it was a necessity. It was a problem to create the inner office mail system because those guys were a bunch of small little, um, you know, small group of quote unquote guys with white lab coats thinking exchanging simple text messages was it. That's not email though. So, so I think the reality is that unless you have a motivation to solve a problem, no innovation comes. And so we really have to ask where is the motivation in Silicon Valley to really solve any problems? Are they really solving any problems? Um, go ahead, Shreya. Uh, I can totally relate to your story because um, I kind of face something similar here. Uh, and uh, I was working on micro expressions. And uh, so you kind of need to run this to validate it. You need to run it on a lot of people. And it's not easy to just, I'm not like Facebook who is just illegally taking everyone's data. I actually had to work in a lab. Luckily, I got into Max Planck Institute in Tübingen at that time. And I also had, uh, after months and months of uh, writing to a lot of, uh, you know, scientists and everyone, uh, the Chinese, pe Chinese uh, people actually opened up the database for me. Uh, and they said that whenever you publish a paper, just include our name. That's all we ask from you. Be ethical. And, you know, I said, of course, I signed everything and all. I went ahead to create my things as well. And it so happened that uh, that is the first uh, time, you know, I faced uh, elitism and all this nonsense. Like, I really wanted to make a patent. And from my research, I kind of knew uh, way ahead in 2018, actually, that people are depressed and they're severely depressed. They are suicidal. So that's what my tool analysis came up with. And everyone just threw it up. They're like, how could you even say this? Who who are you? You're not you're not a psychologist. You're not this. I'm like, yeah, so, my so let me just, let me analysis. Just, yeah. yeah, just to let people know, yeah. Max Planck Institute, yeah. just to give everyone an idea, if you don't know what Max Planck is, it's a number one institute for science in Europe. Right. So Shreya is working yes. there as a scientist and she comes across a discovery. Right. If I understand that depression. So this was in my university. Uh, Max Planck accepted me. Okay. Uh, my university didn't like my, my professor did. But the, there were other people who have to say yes so that I can uh, I can earn that degree. So I really had tears in my eyes because I really Dr. Shiva, I challenged my parents, in fact to come here, I really fought my way. Uh, to, You're in to, Germany right now, right? In Germany. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, that time I really fought my way to there because there was no way I could afford coming to the US, to be honest. Uh, I got a scholarship. I really worked my way up. And uh, I was working with the, uh, I got drone to do something in drone. and But I am really interested in people. So when this came, accident analysis, why accident is happening, that's how the topic came to me. And it was people are depressed. They are subconsciously sleeping off, dozing off. This was the reason. And when I applied it on a large scale network, it was the first time I actually implemented 
uh, wrote all the code myself, made the graphs. And that time I could sense that uh, like the global data is showing most of the people are depressed and I wanted to know why. And when I came up with this, I was uh, easily like my paper, my, my, actually my thesis wouldn't be published if I took it off. And nobody was telling me about patent or copyrights. Like I went door to door. I scoured the sites of MIT, this and that. And everyone is like, you are, uh, uh, you are not going to make it. You are, forget it. And luckily, it was, I think it's God's grace because one of the scientists, it, it, the, my research was mainly inspired by Chinese and Japanese people and some Americans. Uh, but there was this one Jewish scientist who is who was in Max Planck, who was fighting for his own lab, uh, Dr. Senya Olikowski, and he took me in. And uh, with him, I could really go ahead. But our funding was stopped in March 2019. So it's because of because we were finding way too much because non-invasively so, we could so find Shreya, what so these a, people a, are planning. Yeah. So Shreya, basically, just to um, get the core of this is that you mm. had created something at Max Planck, right? Which really could help people detect when they're going to be depressed. Is that right? Yeah. Six okay. months before, at least six months before. Yeah. So, so basically Shreya came up with an invention that you could give people an indication even six months before they were going to head into serious depression that they were going to head into depression. So you could take preventative action in public health from a public health perspective, right? Yes, and, yes. and you went through basically a lot of pushback from the big institutions. Is that right? Is that the net of yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think this is the heart of, I think, the core of what we're saying. You have these big centralized institutions of power. Okay. And there's probably five of them right now. And sometimes, and then a bunch of other idiots come along thinking that innovation is centralized. When I was in India and I was appointed the, by the Prime Minister of India to run the largest innovation center, I just went to India on a, in a Fulbright and I was coming back and the Prime Minister of India's office said, why are you leaving? Why don't you help India? So I said, okay, fine, I'll help my motherland for a couple of years. So I went there and what we noticed was India has, and you notice there's a bunch of Indians on this call. We have three Indians, four Indians, okay? A lot of Indians. <laughs> um, but... You know, India is no Indians are known as oh, they're smart people, they're techies, right? They they do IT stuff. Mm -hmm. it's very interesting, but you will never find an Indian. There's no, if you think about a great inventor, and again, this is not against white people, this is not against brown people or any. It's not a racial thing, but it's actually the history of colonialism. But you will not find a picture of any. If you talk to 1.3 billion people, go talk to a brown skin Indian guy. Oh, who's a great inventor? Oh, uh, Thomas Alva Edison. They have no symbol of a brown-skinned Indian inventor. For that matter, African-Americans, yeah. for that matter, yellow Americans, for that matter, Native Americans, right? So the left wing will talk about this. Oh my God, this is bad. But they're the ones who actually perpetrate this racism because they want people to be in their plantation. So they'll talk about this yeah. and attack the so-called poor white redneck, quote unquote, who's actually not a racist. The real racists are the elite liberal academic white liberals because they're very happy when Shivaya Dure is at MIT doing all this invention. But if you dare say that invention has come before or you 
while at Max Planck, you're supposed to be a good postdoc. You're supposed to work underneath someone, write papers. You're not supposed to go off and create, you, you, you get out of the box. Yeah. So out of this thing, you know, one of the things I realized was the real racism. Let me define racism for all the people who think I'm just talking about white people. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about. The establishment tries to put everyone into a box. If you're a blonde haired, beautiful looking woman, you must be a dumb, quote unquote, a dumb blonde, right? If you're a Chinese, you must not know how to speak. Da, da, da. They make, they have cartoons about that. If you're Indian, you must be like a Gandhi. You must want to meditate under a tree all day and take a good beating once in a while, right? Or, and so on. And if you step out of that box, that's, and they beat you down. You see? So if you're Frank Lakata, a big electrician guy, Frank's not supposed to go do physics. And if you're Robin Frost, a woman as a new surgeon, you're supposed to be in your little box. And what I'm saying is mm -hmm. establishment creates these boxes. And why do they create these boxes? And you can follow the money because they need to create a strata of people. Some people get paid a lot of money and the majority of people are slaves. Mm -hmm. That's where this comes from. This, they, you can't have everyone being a Bill Gates because now that means innovation has become like a weed. You can't charge. The VCs can't put money into companies, mm -hmm. crank them up to be worth $2 billion. Maybe Google is only worth 50 million bucks because there's a lot of Googles out there. Maybe there's lots of different search engines we can choose from. We only have two search engines we can choose from, right? So innovation gets monopolized and only a small strata can innovate. That's a caste system. So Frank Licata has to be in his box. Suresh has to be an IT guy in his box. You know, Dr. Shiva Idre can be a good, you know, famous innovator within the MIT confines, but he surely can't have said he did something before or surely should not run for office or surely should not be attacking, you know, you know, Republicans and Democrats. That's not being a good Indian. So that's what I think this is really about. It's not about white people or black people. It's about these confines of plantations they want to put people in because when they put them in that, you can lower the cost of labor. It comes down to that. It's a very deep thing I'm saying here, but when you unravel this, that's where it comes down to. Because look, if every kid could invent email, think about what happens now. There could You as a venture capitalist don't just put money over into MIT or Silicon Valley. Imagine if you gave $5,000 to small inventors all over the world. Imagine the inventions that could come up. Rather, they want to build a $100 billion investment fund and give it to 20 companies who are all friends of each other. Uh -huh. So there's one Bill Gates whose mother, by the way, sat on the board with IBM who networked for her son to get the deal so he could get DOS. So it's, that kind of shit occurs. It's all by the birth lottery. So I think that's what this is really about. So how we have 7.3 billion people on the planet. How much innovation are we losing? Because we say, oh, you ha only have to be in this geography or this birth lottery because you get lucky and your mother knows somebody and she gets you a job like that's Bill Gates didn't invent DOS. He stole it from another guy, bought it and resold it. And you look at Elon Musk, the guy didn't create PayPal. He came in later. He didn't create Tesla. Someone else did, but he fought to have his name on the stuff. And his parents were, you know, his, I think his father was an emerald miner abusing, you know, people in Africa, if the story's right. Right. 
So it's really, I think ultimately, the story about the invention of email, I think we all need to reflect on it because it's really, really about how much suppression is taking place to whether you're black, you're white, you're brown, to the human spirit. It's basically saying only a finite set of people can innovate. And you have to look like this, feel like this, et cetera. Tomorrow, we're having a talk uh, on Saturday. I wrote a very small book. It's called The Seven Secrets of Innovation. And we have a small foundation that Heather, Heather here is helping me manage and run. It's called Innovation Core. We select kids between 14 through 18. We give them about a thousand bucks. It's not a lot of money, but they get, I mentor them. But we want to help all these 14 through 18 year olds. Um, and I think that's what we want to do. You know, there's a, and we want to help each other. We want to support each other to innovate. So um, let's go over to uh, Suresh. What do you think? What are your thoughts before we wrap up? So I just wanted to um, add that uh, that happened to you because I think, like you said, I think you covered everything. It's because people think that only a certain group of people can um, innovate. Uh, like you said, they have to be uh, a dropout from an Ivy League school or they have to be in Ivy League school. So when I was uh, young, when I was in school, one of my friends said he saw a news where few people died in a remote location and they had an accident and nobody can get to them. So he came to me and said, hey, can we create something? Uh, so I, I did not tell him, ask myself, oh, I'm not a Harvard dropout. Oh, I'm not um, this or that. I said, yeah, let's do it. And we created something and uh, we got, uh, our, we submitted it to the National Innovation Foundation. We got like the award. We were flown to Ahmedabad and Abdul Kalam gave us like the first prize. Uh, Abdul Kalam and, is the president of India, by the way. Yeah. 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 A, a great guy. And then um, after I finished my college, I created a website. There are 40,000 users. Uh, I did not question myself. Um, I think people uh, think, I think it's by design, like you said, uh, they have created an infrastructure uh, that people have this illusion that only certain group of people can innovate. But like you said, you are a perfect example. Like you are from the periphery, you are from the outskirts, edges, you're not from the center. And uh, that really bothers them. Like you are an example uh, of that doesn't fit in their model. And I think the fact is I didn't back down, Suresh. Yeah, and you fought. Okay? You this like, is very critical. They want people to back down and walk away. So mm -hmm. it's two things. That's why you know in our movement, Truth, Freedom and Health, we teach people, we educate people, but we want to get people on the ground and challenge those in power. It's one thing, that's why a lot of intellectuals or these talking heads like Tucker Carlson and Glenn Greenwald and these guys just talk shit. Yeah, they're talking stuff, but too little, but they don't, I've never seen Tucker Carlson. He would never walk down the street and deliver flyers to people and educate the working people. That's the difference. You see, when we did the invention of email, we're, we went on the ground, you know, we created our own website. We went direct. I had to, we had to go do this on our own. When you created that thing, you guys didn't feel like it was impossible. Right. We were young. Yeah. We are young. I think that's why 14-year-old um, 14 to 18-year-olds are very, very, it's a great age. You know, some people call these people juvenile delinquents, but it's just energy that needs to be harnessed. What they're doing now is they are telling the youth, they have all, the youths have so much distraction nowadays, social media and all that. And they're telling the youth that you are insignificant. You don't know anything. You can't do achieve much. 
you're a nobody like you can see in social media oh he's a billionaire oh he squats on a golden toilet what do you know who are you so that's why truth freedom health movement is very important we need to go out tell people like you have the power you you are the most powerful being look in the mirror don't get brainwashed that someone else is more smarter than you and you are an insignificant person the sun doesn't ask permission to shine likewise you don't you should not be asking permission for anything you go out and do it you're not an insignificant person yeah it's interesting you say that when i was growing up in india my mom would say you know we have a caste system in india she said the difference between a lower caste and an upper caste is my i don't know if this is true she said in a brahmin family right when the kid is born the parents would say you're the greatest you're the best you're the, you're number 1 you you can be anything right and those things affect people's brains mm-hmm. versus you're told oh you're nobody you're nobody you can't do anything and i think but i th- i always like to go back to the economic reasons i think there's if there is a conspiracy the conspiracy is to make sure a vast majority of people are reduced to slaves and then only a few people get to innovate they get to smoke their pipe and have their martinis and talk about some innovation that they're doing it's an elitist event it's not what it was innovation is in everyone's dna who created irrigation right who created all these amazing things i know frank is making things every day you know one thing i just uh, yeah. thought of a, of a correlation here the innovation is like in many ways like politics uh you can only supposedly be a politician if you're in their little club you know they're elites and if you're an outsider then both parties will team up again, uh to um to fight you uh we found that out um so there is there is a there's a parallel there between politics and innovation yeah frank i think that's a really good point because i can tell you this if i didn't go to mit and i didn't get all those degrees in that the yeah. invention of email would have been totally suppressed right it's because i had this sort of unique history where they allowed someone like me into mit <laughs> and i did all those stuff that i was able to use their own credibility against them so this is sort of the checkmate problem that they have because typically someone like me if i didn't go to mit i'd be nothing or if i had invented email while at mit and dropped out that would have been cool and if you went to harvard then they'd let you be a us senator <laughs> that's right if you're that's in their right. little circle so to me what happened was in remember i had in 2010 i'd gone to india 2007 to do my fulbright i'd exposed corruption in the indian innovation system that shreya you've experienced a lot of smart people you see what's happened in yeah. india is you see a bunch of indians on this call but Indians are basically told they can be good workers, smart workers, but surely they cannot get a Nobel prize or any, they can't achieve the elitism, quote unquote. So do you know this fact? Prior to the British coming to India, India had two Nobel prize winners. Listen to what I'm about to say here. After the British left, India has had no Nobel prize winners. Yeah. Let me finish that again. Prior to the British prior to british leaving india during british colonialism india had two sarcivi raman and bose right two yes. nobel prize winners after the indian supposedly got independence 75 years india's had zero 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 nobel prize winners 
You have to leave India and come to the United States and then you get recognition. Let me give you an example. There's a guy called um, Gobind Karana. Okay. He won a Nobel Prize in medicine. In India, he couldn't even get a job as a lecturer in a university because of the feudal structure that they've created in India. He had to leave India, come here. So what I'm saying is you have a little bit, but I'm saying, so that's what I saw in India that I exposed and I had to leave India under death threats when I was in that scientific institution. When I came here to the United States, that's when the invention of email, and I noticed the same thing here. Yes, you can, you, you can hit a ceiling if you're willing to be a lapdog. But when you look at something like the invention of email, it is so profound, right? How could it, this ever be done in, in Newark, New Jersey? It blows everyone's mind. It's one of those things that could not have ever occurred or just like the invention of TV. So that, That's why it's very important for people in our movement to go out, tell people, we, it, this is this is happening because of the ignorance of the masses. People really think, oh, yeah, I cannot do this. We have to go out and tell people, yes, we can do this. We have to create community. We have to organize. We have to get activated. We have to create a community where young people can feel that, okay, I can achieve something. I can drive my own destiny. I can become somebody. I can make a positive change in the world. Like, we have to show your example. Like, you did it. When you're well, I, I, th I think in addition to that, Suresh, we have to forcibly take it too. We can't wait. When I mean forcibly, I have, I mean, after 2012, I never wanted credit for the invention of email. This is a very interesting thing about credit. But after they attacked me, I said, wait a minute, I did invent email. Now I'm going to take that credit. Not because of me, but because what you're doing is so abusive. Mm -hmm. So it's a very interesting thing because most of the scumbags in academia who don't do a lot, but they have this gumption, they'll do something small and make it look big. You've probably seen these people, Rick Robin in, in research and in, in, in organizations. Everyday ordinary people, most of us are pretty humble people. We do our daily stuff. We don't really look for any fanfare. This is what's interesting. The elites are trained to do something small and get massive credit for nothing that they did. You see this with celebrities. Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood, right? You see this yeah. with politicians. They do nothing. I mean, look oh, at this idiot that's running for governor in Massachusetts. He's an idiot. And he's being presented as though he's somebody. So the elites are very good at taking an idiot and making them look like gold. Good puppets. What's that? So they are good puppets. They're the good followers, you know, so. Yes. <laughs> that's the why. So, yeah, so there's so many amazing people who don't get credit because they said, well, you know, I don't really, I, I'm humble. And I'm saying false humility. That the, the, the learning that I learned was if you do something and you have done the work, the elites take credit for shit they didn't even do. So it, I realized that getting credit for the invention of email was not about me. It was about for all these other 7 billion freaking people who are doing amazing work and how many of them are being suppressed. How many other children are there that, are never going to, they won't be able to manifest their creativity because you have to be, you have to have a birth lottery. You have to be Bill Gates or you have to be Mark Zuckerberg born into certain families. So I think that's what this is really about. I mean, I know we started talking about email, mm -hmm. but I think there's a much, much deeper discussion here uh, that needs to happen. And it's never going to happen 
at MIT. It's not going to happen at Harvard. It's not going to happen on. We're that's why to all of you listening, we're doing this discussion today. You know, the anniversary of emails on the thirtieth, and all of you should share the facts. And it's, again, it's not about me. It's about you, actually. It's really about you. And the the story of the invention of email must be widely shared everywhere because it really goes down to the human spirit. Where does innovation come from? It's anytime, any place, by anybody. And it's really, really important. I think people get this clear. And so, you know, it's been a long, hard struggle since 2010. The vitriol, the abuse, you know, and every one of us has faced this. Robin, you face this as a woman, right? You're doing good stuff. You don't get the appropriate credit. And credit does matter. Um, I think there's an interesting article that Arvind Gupta wrote in one of the Indian. Arvind Gupta is the, um, is the, was the guy who was an advisor to the prime minister of India. So let me bring up this article that Arvind wrote in the middle of this controversy. He was one of the few people who got it. Let me share this with you. And I'll sort of share with you why credit is important. And I think it's here. Uh, yeah, I think this is here. Why does academic credit matter? He goes, email transformed our business communication collaboration like no other technology. It's probably the longest surviving. Can everyone see this? Yes? This is a little small. Yes, Dr. Shiva. Oh, do I have to make it bigger? Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is an article that came on, we, many years later, uh, I was honored by uh, a group in India called the Digital India Foundation. We did an event there. And this is, and, um, this is what it says. The guy who claimed to be the inventor of email just died. And, people, and, and we put out a notice and we put out this press release. It said, um, email transformed our business communication collaboration like no other technology. It's probably the longest surviving of internet tools in its various forms and designs. It also evolved over the next decade, but the fundamentals stayed as they were in 1978 with one notable addition, the now ubiquitous at between the name and the host server, courtesy of the late Tomlinson. That's all he did. Why does academic credit matter? Because the journey matters, the motivation matters, and history matters to generations of inventors, dreamers, and entrepreneurs deserve to know the truth. Big change happens in small places when opportunity meets people who are driven to find answers. That's how email, as we know it, came to be, okay? And that's the point, okay? The story of email exemplifies the journey of a team that included a precocious Indian-born teenager eager to be useful in America, grateful for the later opportunity to earn four degrees at MIT, and so on. But I think this is the most important point is that credit does matter because it puts the origin of where something comes from. And that's telling the truth. Right now, the origin is everything comes from Silicon Valley. Everything comes from being graduates of these Ivy League institutions, right? And you have to be in this box. You have to look like a nerd. It's very interesting. All right. Do we have any other um, questions? Let's look at uh, any other comments. Um, well, I have a comment. And, ahead, and I just, I, I want to applaud you for standing up for that 14-year-old you and for all the other innovators out there that are not, have not received the credit that is due to them. And, and I've been thinking a lot as I'm listening to the other speakers. I mean, people really need to identify a real problem that needs to be their motivation um, in order to find real solutions to real problems. Um, and it, it just kind of look at the, the innovation is almost endangered 
um, I, I think of like the the white rhino or the snow leopards, right? Um, think of people consuming shark fin soup and just tossing the shark overboard. Um, and, and, and that's what's happening when we're giving credit to all of these collegiate um, entities instead of the individuals that are really doing the work. And it's all about fattening their wallets. And what's really interesting, Heather, is whenever the truth comes out, they say, oh, well, you know, no one person could have invented that. It happened through collaboration. They're very, very clever. Whenever things come out of, doesn't come out of their things, they try to make it, they, they're very clever. They say, oh, it occurred through collaboration. Well, the point that we want to point out, yes, innovation does come through collaboration. But the seed of it is the family unit, in my view, either if it's one person, a mother, if you're a single family, but someone who cares about a child. The second aspect is, as we brought out in that paper, is that infrastructure. And the third aspect is you have good teachers. And that's where innovation really comes out of. It doesn't come out of the military industrial academic complex. Because what the government will now try to tell you is, oh yeah, we have, you know, the war in Ukraine is a good thing. We're gonna produce some great new stuff and don't worry, you know, we're gonna go to space. You know, they say you, you gotta touch your nose going around like this, around your back of your head. And that's how they're selling a lot of this crap. Saying that innovation comes from NASA, innovation comes from here or there, et cetera. So they don't want to give innovation to the small businesses, to the people who build stuff bottoms up. It's very, very clever. And because of that, all the money flow goes to these same set of people over and over and over and over again. So if you're a young inventor and you're not in Silicon Valley and you don't know people, it's very, very hard to get funded. You're, you're not part of that little club. Yeah. I thought of something uh, real quick. Uh, that that video there with Mo Roca, uh, the Henry Ford uh, video there that has you on, on the program, it's a very interesting video. But uh, it, and it's called Innovation Nation, right? What's interesting is uh, they play that uh, series on weekends for kids. Uh, you know, it's called the educational, the EI content that the station, the PBS and the ABC and all of them have to do. Uh, and they do play that series, but they I have never seen that particular episode. It's almost like they left that out. No, because anytime, this is what also happening, Frank, anytime a reporter tells the truth, yeah. so that Washington Post reporter, they attacked her as a young African-American woman who wrote that report. She wrote the facts. Right. They had her retract stuff. They yeah. throw people under the bus. This, inv I mean, a friend of mine who's the former editor of Business Insider goes, Shiva, what's fascinating about the invention of email is not the fact that you invented it. That's black and white. Is there, why is there even a controversy? It's like, it's, it's like almost like you have like AIDS or something. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. Seriously. If you're an honest reporter, like Doug Ameth got hammered for writing the Time Magazine article. Mo Roca got hammered. So they he all did. were afraid. Yeah, so they, they, it's still, you had to put it on your own YouTube, but they probably removed it from their library. That's what I'm trying to say. It yeah. is so volatile. And the only reason I the news got out was because I had the MIT imprimatur. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, MIT right. guy. But then after they put out the story, they say, holy shit, what did we just put out? We told the right. truth. This and is too much. They take it away. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who puts out the story, they attack them viciously. Yeah. 
Yeah, because they are backed by very powerful machinery, military, academic, complex, industrial complex. Right. So yeah. they need the money. So Front anybody, capital. yeah, who goes against them, uh, is gonna be attacked. So that is why it's very important. When I go out, when I give out the flyers, your picture is on there in the corner. I say, hey, do you know Dr. Shiva? He invented email at age 14. So I want to make sure people in my community know. Yeah, and and what these guys did, Suresh, was these racist motherfuckers at TechDirt. They actually did a campaign, a joke campaign called I Invented Email. And they put T-shirts when I sued them. Mm. This is how scumbags they are. It's really, you know, as a person of color or a person of where I come from, we're not supposed to get credit. So even asking for credit, you have to be humbled and probably true of a woman, right? It's like you have to be embarrassed to ask for your credit. It's beaten down on you. It's fascinating. Or if you're a working class person, oh, I'm not at that level. Oh, I'm not qualified to get credit. And so it's a very interesting psychological mind game that gets done to those boxes. It's very, very psychological. Like you have to look a certain way, you have to act a certain way, and then you're an inventor or you get the credit. So yeah, so you know, whenever I demand the credit, they say, oh, well, uh, that's, uh, you know, you shouldn't be asking credit, but they're absolutely fine giving Hollywood people credit. You know, cre credit matters in Hollywood. That's all it's about. Where your name is listed first or second in academia, where your name is, people tear each other apart for credit. So they know the importance of credit. It's very interesting. Credit is not discussed anywhere. Among working people, we're all humble again. Credit is very, very important, especially when it credits the truth. So that's why I keep saying it's not about me, but the invention of email, man, it's a powerful story. That is how they are programming people. If right. I ask uh, many Indians, hey, do you know who invented zero? They would be like, I don't think it, it wouldn't have come from India. Like things that came from India, if you ask people where it came from, they would say, oh, I don't think it came from India. That's well, how they've been. Well, programmed. not only that, the Michigan mechanic, a working class guy, is the one who created the automatic control system mm -hmm. in Michigan. Two MIT professors went there, stole it from him, and they created the control systems lab. But a working class, I mean, if you say, oh, you're working, you're saying you're like MIT, they shun you. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, that's where it came from. You see, they've created this caste system of psychology, how to manipulate people to suppress the actual credit it's, it's a whole it's a whole discussion we could have yeah it's but i programming. think that's why the invention of email is very important it's why it's important that we get truth freedom and health out there because they do not want again people to build a bottoms up movement it always has to be top down oh vote for trump vote for desantis vote for biden like this is the brainwashing nothing should supposedly come bottoms up it all has to be top down the invention of email is truly bottoms up innovation our movement is bottoms up. It's every person having respect for themselves. Ultimately, that's what this is about. Matthew, you've been quiet. Do you want to say some closing points? Um, well, I, it's your own point. I mean, in St. Lucia, I don't know if we know, we have two Nobel laureates, one in economics, Arthur Lewis, and the other one in the field of um, to do with, with writing and, and, and stuff like that. And he's top poet, you know, is um, Derek Walker. So as a small country, the same thing, they couldn't believe. And then his mother homeschooled him as Derek, uh, Derek um, Sarfa Lewis in, in, in the UK. 
he was a um, running one of his universities. He was a, a, a lecturer there, a professor there in economics. So from a small island. So I understand clearly. It would be nice, though, Dr. Shiva, the same way you, you were able to build an electrical version of the, the gross physical structure that they had there for the mail system, and you've done it again with Cytosolve, um, creating a software that could handle stuff you'd have to do again physically. Um, with the program you're putting out now for the young people, um, to get, help them to get innovated, I think it would be nice if we can get a, a version of um, some way to digitize that process of, of thinking the way you, you know, this, this, this new thinking, if we could digitize it so we can really get a program to run, um, like what, um, what's her name was saying earlier? Uh, Heather? Sam, Sam, Samuel? Sam, yeah. Um, yes, yes, Hi. Right, what you wanted to do with the psychological scenario, I believe that this is what Shiva can do, with, or somebody, that when you get into the program, it'll be self, self, um, uh, it'll be obvious because it'll be self-replicating. So everybody who's viewing it at the time can clearly see who is, who is the innovator. It'll be like a blockchain where there's a light shining on it. Anybody that moves, you can see who's there for real. So they cannot say, no, it's not, it's not Mr. Shiva is there. He's the one doing the work. And in real time, using the same technology like blockchain, nobody could deny you invented it. And the well, support I, I, I think I think Matthew, I think it's two things. In this case with email, it's obvious. I have the paperwork's there. We have the copyright, everything's there. Yeah. The yeah. issue is, I think, deeper. We could create technology. I think to your point, I mean, one of the things that we have created is this, right? We have taken the process of how to become a smart, aware, wise human being, and we've created a system. That's what truth, freedom, and health is a invention, no different than email. It's a system. And when yes. people go through this. It's a system that is transforming people. You know, we have Frank's great video up here, we'll, you know, but it's transforming people to recognize there's lots of information, but because of the forces of power, profit, and control, ignorance is what's ruling the world right now. And this ignorance is dividing people, making people complacent and desperate. And what we are teaching people is that you need a knowledge engine that allows you to see the world as it is. That is a science of systems. And so that is what we've put together. So... In many ways, we've created that self-sustainable concept here. People can use this system. They get smarter. And as we say here, they become their own guru. Okay? That's what we've really done here. Um, right. Right? right. So, I, the, for, the thing about the land, the land yeah. of the blind, that's exactly what you're saying. In the land of the blind, a one-eyed man is king. So they have to get everybody blind in order for it to sustain this, this, this trick. You know, because right. anybody else has eyes, all of a sudden, they're no longer the king. Right. So let's wrap up. Let's just, um, Shreya, uh, Robin, do you have any, let's, let's go 30 seconds. You guys summarize what you think, you know, email or this and any final comments. Go ahead, Robin. Yeah, I just think that everybody needs to, to look into um, the truth, freedom, health education system and system science and become educated because that's the only true way that we're going to actually be able to combat what's going on. Yeah. And then Robin, you're referring to the system. So anyone listening, we have some really, really very smart people of diverse backgrounds on this call today. And all of them are users of this system because it's the knowledge that will deliver you wisdom. We have Frank, who's an electrician, Robin, who's a surgeon, uh, educator, scientist. You look at the diversity of people. This is real diversity, okay, on this call. 
Um, go ahead, Shreya, what's your final words? If you can take like 30 seconds. I totally second Robin and I totally, I'm very uh, happy that you are launching this mission. And because of you, I also had the courage to come out and say my story. Uh, otherwise it would just live, live on my laptop and now I'm fighting for my own startup. I'm, I'm really doing those steps, which I never had the courage to do. It's only when you have like the movement, truth, freedom, and when you're enlightened, when you understand this global conspiracy, only then you can break the brain fog that they have created. So I'm very happy to join them. Yeah, and Shreya, you should come on the board of Innovation Core. Uh, you can work with um, Heather because every year the yeah. applications are open. It's for kids between the age of 14 through 18. We give a thousand bucks. I do direct mentoring. But more importantly, we recognize young innovators all over the world. And we actually define innovation. By the way, tomorrow at um, 11 a.m., is that right, Heather? I'm going to be doing a talk. It's for all of our Truth Freedom Health Warriors. Those of you who've, um, who've taken the course, um, you get access to it. But it's going to be the seven secrets of innovation. So I, I hope all of you guys join. But it, it's going to really uh, educate people. Let me see if I can bring it up here. Yeah. Yeah, it's at uh, 11 Eastern. Yeah, it's 11 Eastern, right? Um, but it's we're going to have a discussion on uh, this the secrets of innovation. So here it is. Let me bring it up here. It's right here. Let me bring it up. So tomorrow, it, it, it's you, you will learn what I learned are the real seven things that I think really are secrets of innovation. Let me bring it up here. You can see it. So this is tomorrow. I encourage everyone, if you if you can, come, if you're a truth, freedom, and health warrior, you get access. But um, Patrick, this is something, what you were saying, we could make this into a system itself, okay? So it's tomorrow, August 27th, uh, at, in the morning, Saturday, 11 a.m. EST. You go to truthfreedomhealth.com, and um, you can find the events. And I think it's on the events section, right, Heather? It is. And are you encouraging youth to attend this as well, Dr. Yeah, Shiva, those who have signed up for the course? Yes. Anyone who's young, by the way, if you take the course, you can give it away to as many kids as you want. So we've already done that. So anyway, we put our money where our mouth is. We win. Our movement wins. We want lawsuits. We go and expose stuff and we're building a movement. So all of you out there, you don't need to feel desperate. You don't need to feel like there's no one there supporting you. You don't need to feel like uh, there's no hope. Uh, the reality is that we have created a system that can actually make you wiser. So please take advantage of that. Um, Jill says, Dr. Shiva offers bi-monthly lectures to his warrior scholars. We offer a wide range. So go to vashiva.com and you can find all of that information up there. Okay. Um, Frank, final words of wisdom. And then uh, we have Ashra. Sure. Yeah. Uh, just um, when you spoke of the military industrial academic complex, the thing that really comes to mind is I'm not so much worried about the military or the industry, academia. If you just take the, just that one corner of the triangle um, and bring it back to uh, grade school, ask any grade school child who invented the light bulb. They'll tell you Thomas Edison. Who invented the telephone? Oh, Alexander the Graham Bell. Who invented email? Um, I don't know. <laughs> right. So there's a reason why people homeschool. And that's because our education system is broken. And, um, and you know, I don't know what it means, but I, I don't know what we could. I guess the answer would be this type of education and actually concentrate on the younger people, more, more so the younger um, than the older. Yeah, I think, Frank, I think the solution that comes out is education. And it's not teaching people what to think, but how to think. 
Right, right, right. And that's what we're doing. We're teaching people how to think. We're giving them a systems basis. Ashwarya, do you have any final words? Uh, hi, Dr. Shiva. Actually, yeah. I've been suppressing my entrepreneurial side because I'm actually, I came in student visa and right now I'm in work visa. I've been told uh, that I have to be a good worker and I have to stick on to the H-1B visa and just respect all the rules and just stay in your lane, you know. But after joining your campaign, uh, volunteering your campaign and like probably like going through systems course and listening to your lectures, it really motivated me to kind of like, come out of my zone and that's how I met Shreya and we are actually working on an idea, like innovative idea right now. And I'm one of the co-founder of the company. So That's I'm good. kind of coming out of the zone and really, you really inspired me with all your ideas. And and you really taught me how to think. And I, really am, I think I'm, I'm there. All right. Thank excellent. you so much for your uh, foundations. And I, I'm very sure like we'll see you tomorrow. Uh, and I'm ready to learn a lot from you. Yeah. So I just want to let everyone know what Ashra, it's tomorrow at Saturday. Um, once every um, about two months, if you go to vashiva.com and you go to, I think it's events, right? So if, let me just share this with you so everyone knows where to go. If you go to vashiva.com and you go to the events section here, this is our main website and you click on events, you can see the lecture series, The Seven Secrets of Innovation, and you can sign up. If you're already a warrior, you get to come in, but become a warrior. It's an incentive. It's basically, we're trying to trying to make you become warriors. <laughs> okay. Become a warrior and you get access to those great lectures. Um, Shreya, did you want, you have any final thoughts? Uh, yes, uh, Dr. Shiva, like it's, uh, I'm always promoting, I've already shared, uh, encouraging people to come out and innovate more and join your movement. And another thing spot on that you just said is that what is being propagated by Tesla and all is all bullshit. The Elon guy, whatever he's doing. I, I last worked in the safety systems of Porsche and BMW. Germans really know how to make their cars, you know. And then I see the Tesla car coming out. It's just show. It's not yeah. a real car also. So these things, you know, this thing has to be taught to children because children are being fed uh, Teslas and this and that. They are not feeding real information. So the truth has to come out. That's my closing comment. Yeah. And then I think the important thing to, uh, for, for everyone to understand, Sherry, we are bringing the truth out, right? Our movement wins every day. And it's very important for people to understand that. This is the only movement on the planet where we have a system. We have people from all over the planet. You know, we have Matthew from St. Lucia, but we have people all the way in Ireland and Australia, Africa, all over the planet. Uh, Heather, do you want to say any final words? And then we go to Matthew and we wrap up. Yeah, I, I see every once in a while a message flash by saying how much the people love you, Dr. Shiva. We love you too, but everybody, you can't outsource your power. Like Frank and Suresh said earlier, you have the power and recommend that you join the movement, connect with this great group of people, learn the foundation of systems, learn to look at the reality, connect with others. You have Dr. Shiva as your mentor, as well as others um, in this, this amazing movement. Um, yeah, I so I, Dr. Shiva. Yeah, so I want to recommend to people uh, what Heather. So if you go, you have this system, okay? So go to truthfreedomhealth.com. Uh, it took us, we just revamped the whole website, but the message is pretty simple get educated or be enslaved. You know, this is an email was a system. This is a system. Email allowed you to do your work faster. Um, you know, 
this system allows you to get smarter, frankly. That's what it's for. It makes you smarter and wiser. That's what it is. And who do we have? Matthew, final words, and we're done. Matthew? Yes, my, my, my final words, yes, is um, what you're doing right now with the education of the young ones and motivating them to get, to actually take that step, use the systems approach, and actually get a result. So seeing is believing. When they apply it and the result comes back, then the belief system is set more within the, 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 their mind and their brain, and they will start believing that they're capable, and that's a really good way to go. So I'm very, very excited to be part of this movement. And from the beginning, from the get-go, I want to get deeply involved and get as many people on board. But this is going to be the only way, like Shiva says, we need to program ourselves into realizing that we're capable of doing it. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Just a couple of pointers. So tomorrow, um, by the way, someone just put up here, their 81-year-old mother is going to be taking, uh, start using our system. They're going to take the course, 81-year-old. So this, you don't have to be any age. This is for any, anyone to do. Um, tomorrow, uh, I also want to let people know that we also um, invite everyone to come to an orientation every Thursdays at 11 and 8 p.m. You can go here, sign up to come to the orientation. But tomorrow we have a big class. Go up to vashiva.com and sign up and become a warrior. All right. Thank you, everyone. I think we got across a point. Bottom line is let everyone know the invention of email uh, took place in Newark, New Jersey. It occurred on August 30th. It wasn't done by the military industrial complex. It was done by, you know, a 14 year old boy. And we have this book called The Boy Who Invented Email. And this boy journey will be sharing his seven secrets of innovation because we don't want people to waste their time. Okay. You'll learn what is innovation. You'll learn the difference between invention and innovation. You're going to learn what is a source of innovation, but it really help people. And anyone who's a young um, person can join and be part of this. Okay. But we're building a movement. Also be part of that too. That's also a system. All right, everyone, hold on you guys. Let me just sign off on people. Thanks to everyone on Instagram. Uh, appreciate everyone's time on a Friday coming here. Let me sign off here. Thank you. Be well.